Hi, this is Surya Devi, and welcome to A Voice for Love. I'm a world music artist and healer living on the unceded traditional territories of the Coast Salish people, otherwise known as Vancouver, Canada. We're going to be speaking with leaders and visionaries from around the world to talk more about what it means to be a voice for love. We're going through massive changes on the planet right now, and I believe that what the world needs more than ever are people who are aligned, heart-led, and who can speak from the soul to help usher in even bigger shifts that will elevate us all into a more harmonious and prosperous existence together. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi there, welcome to A Voice for Love. This is Surya, and I'm so excited to welcome my special guest this morning, Guru Nishan. Welcome. Hi, happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming. I'm very excited for our conversation today. So can you tell everyone a little bit about you for uh, anyone who doesn't know who you are? Sure. My name is Guru Nishan, and um, I'm a nervous system consultant and teach about the sensory body and how the human body or nervous system holds memory or trauma or what I call data from our past that continues to kind of replay in our future. And so I, I basically teach how we can take self-authority of, of really unwinding our lived experience and getting back to our own soul pulse of knowing um, this body of work is birthed through me through my own process of unwinding um, cult and cultural conditioning from my upbringing in the kundalini yoga 3ho community and i was born and raised in that culture and really thought i had left the dogma behind and kept the health consciousness for most of my life and that was kind of my spiritual narrative um, only to realize about a decade ago that i was repeating really toxic um, emotional unavailability availability patterns as well as financial abuse patterns and I just didn't fully comprehend it and so I went on an inward journey to discover terror and abuse and memory that was in my body that I didn't fully comprehend and then last year the kundalini yoga community exploded open into a full me too movement and it just really confirmed that the memory my body was giving me was right and that my mind was really stuck in the indoctrination thinking that my lifestyle was so pure and holy when really it was purely holding me in captivity wow <laughs> wow <laughs> that's, that's deep <laughs> Yeah, wow. So you host your own podcast, which is how I found you. And I was like, yes, thank you. Because, um, you know, I wasn't, Kundalini Yoga isn't necessarily my main thing, but I've dabbled in and out of it over the years. I'm very familiar with it. And I have lots of friends who are, you know, a lot deeper in it. So, um, you know, and we just kind of briefly talked about this. I was sort of aware of, you know, Yogi Bhajan's um, issues, you know, as for several years prior to the big explosion that you speak about. So can you tell us a little bit about what your podcast and what you're doing on there because I was so excited when I saw it. I was like, yes, somebody's doing this. <laughs> yeah, um, it started back this past November 2020 and it's called Uncomfortable Conversations Podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. And it was really a response to the deafening silence of elders, my aunties and uncles and other people that I truly love from my childhood community that weren't speaking to what was obviously serious serial predatory grooming and sadistic abuse that got revealed last year that YB 
not only inflicted on many, many of the women that worked for him over several decades, but also grooming children like myself who were born into the community. Now, I wasn't groomed. I wasn't sexually abused. But I say like myself in that children that were born into the culture, like me, grew up with him as kind of this grandfather, saintly figure and got groomed into being a concubine. And when all that got revealed, hypocrisy, it went beyond hypocrisy for me. It, it went into a level of sadism that I didn't fully comprehend. And it's the antithesis of so much of what the yoga of awareness stands for. And so I had dedicated a lot of my adult life to healing unconscious trauma in my body and Several years ago, I had found a lot of shame-based memory in my system that I didn't fully understand, and I committed to healing it. And so when this all got exposed in our community, and people that I love who have been legacy teachers, <clears throat> teaching kind of like the main big teachers that are the senior ones, the closest to YB supposedly, they didn't say anything. A lot of people still haven't said anything. And it just crushed me. And it reminded me of being a child, being eight years old, and having to swallow my anger and my pain. And just kind of like, wow, this, it hit me. This is the ethos of the Kundalini Yoga community. It's silence. It's victim shaming. It's not owning the, um, the true emotions of the reality around us. It was bypassing our emotions. So I started this podcast because I felt like these stories need to get out of silent secret groups, out of the private Facebook groups, out of the private Zoom calls. And while it's wonderful, it's finally being spoken in private somewhere because we've had 50 years of not talking about these issues at all in our community. Um, I also realized that KRI, which is Kundalini Research Institute, it's the head company that kind of runs the teachings. And 3HO and any other Kundalini Yoga teacher that's carrying on to teach, it's not going to stop. People are going to keep putting out their web of the yoga of awareness is the most elite special spiritual knowledge ever. And while I really love and appreciate some elements of what Kundalini Yoga has fostered and landed in my body, what I realized is the amount of predatory um, patterns that are still living in it. And we can only see those patterns by hearing the real stories of real people that have experiences from our community. And so I realized, gosh, I don't have to be angry at someone or angry at people that aren't speaking out i can just use this anger as a force for good and create a platform where people can hear everyday lives of people that came into our community in some form or another whether we were raised in it joined it became it whatever the story and so we just hit our 30th episode <clears throat> the stories are weaving a tapestry that's illuminating predatory patterns that aren't just about YB. They still exist in the teachings. They still exist in spiritual communities outside of 3HO. And these patterns are very important patterns because they're predator patterns. And the more we can strengthen our capacity to see manipulation from the beginning, the signs of it, sexual, physical,
physical, emotional, spiritual abuse, financial abuse. All of these things are wrapped up and are, are exist in communities, political organizations, religions. And we have to get better at seeing them, in my opinion. We absolutely do, because the way I see it, as I've really stretched this out, I think I mentioned, like, I have my own experiences um, in manipulative type spiritual groups. But, you know, though I've really broadened it out and I can see so clearly that our society is actually also based upon these same patterns and that so many of our world leaders are narcissists and that these patterns of manipulation are playing out in people day after day. And our whole systems are built upon these same, you know, and it's very it feels very patriarchal. It feels very something that we need to absolutely absolutely move beyond and that whatever wherever we're going next is kind of beyond this so it feels like what's happening in the world right now is a crumbling of all of this so even though it seems that so much is is coming up it's all coming up because it needs to be seen and 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 healed and this is what's happened in the kundalini yoga community as well and like you i've just been shocked disappointed and just kind of mind blown at the amount of people who have not said anything about this um and, uh, and I understand that there's, you know, so many people, you know, there's such a process involved in this and it can be a, it can be a big thing. It can take a long time to unwind, but you know, as we said, you can say something, you can even say, I don't know what to say about this, but I just want everybody to know that, you know, this isn't right. I'm acknowledging this, but not to say anything. So I find it very interesting. And I'd like to hear more about like how you say that that silencing is actually like such a big part of the community and even the, the work itself? Is that what I hear you saying? Like the, the actual yoga itself? Yeah, I think it's really important that what a lot, what I see happening a lot, and rightfully so, is people want to bypass the reality of the predatory abuse of YB and go right to, but the teachings are so amazing. But the teachings work. And this is a lot of the language we're hearing in the ethos of all of those people that have been impacted by the technology of kundalini yoga. And I get that. I really do. Because I've lived most my life extracting hypocrisy and dogma away from the teachings. I really wanted to hold the teachings, the health conscious aspect of my upbringing in reverence. I wanted to believe it was a real lineage. And so I did a lot of work internally to hold both realities, that he can be a hypocrite, that he could be inconsistent, he could be incongruent. And so, you know, most of my 20s, 30s was all about how do I reconcile that I love so much about the way I was raised and extracting the good part and letting the rest go. This brought it to another level because... <clears throat> When we read the AOB report and we started hearing the stories that started flooding the internet last spring in 2020, we're talking about children like me growing up and then being sexually assaulted. We're talking about an ethos of him, you know, routinely taking people's inheritances, him speaking about not cutting our hair and kind of like women's women's teachings about the grace of God teachings, as they're called. And then him doing the exact opposite, chewing on the labia of women, biting them, bruising them, beating them. And yet the cloak of like, oh, women are closer to God. So what, what I think is so important here to understand is that we can't just say blindly, the teachings are amazing. And yet there's been 50 years of victim shaming, silencing, 
and abuse, not just sexual abuse, but financial, sexual, spiritual, psychological, emotional, physical. So we can't just say, oh, but the teachings are amazing, even though for 50 years those teachings have literally been used to brainwash and numb a group of people from noticing what was in very obvious plain sight. And I'm not saying that there's not physiological benefits to breath or yoga or lots of other things that we learn in Kundalini Yoga. But if we don't really take a moment to say, wow, how is it that this 50 years has gone on and a whole generation of people gave up their children, submitted their will, gave up their inheritances, gave up their choice, their choice to marry who they want, to love who they want, to feel their feelings, lots of other things. These things need to get examined because the predatory patterns are literally infused in the Kriyas themselves, in the tune-in process. He gave, and I think that's what makes a masterful cult leader anyways. Like, let's just put this in perspective. When all this came out and I looked at, did research, um, you look at Philip de Slip's work, who kind of looks at the history of, mm-hmm. the real history of YB's um you know, growing up years and, you know, whether his 3HO story is the same as his actual story and from an academic lens. But when you look at academics who've studied cults, which is called high demand groups, you realize what makes a great cult leader is to steal real wisdom from real sources and then put it into a new form and wrap a new identity around it. And so he did that very well to us. You know, it's like, 500-year-old religion, let's take Siki, let's adapt it a little bit so we feel and make feel a little more entitled and special, you know, we're white, women are wearing turbans too, all these other things, vegetarians, and then Oriaveda, and then numerology, and astrology, and breath, and this, and that, and all these things to create this lifestyle, and then that becomes our sense of identity. But what is it built on? What is it based on? And it's one thing if he grew into leadership and then became a megalomaniac. But what we got exposed and heard in Premka in the book Premka is from day one he sexually violated. The first yoga class with her, he sexually violated her. This is this is, you know, there's culture of abuse and we tolerate it collectively because if you grow up marinating in in being gaslit you don't even know what it's like to feel something and trust yourself because you've always been gaslit out of the way you feel so for me the experience was I've become my own best gaslighter. I gaslight myself 24-7. To unlearn gaslighting within my body took years of self-reclamation to even be able to feel a feeling. Because I grew up in an environment where I learned very early my feelings, A, aren't safe. They're not allowed. They're wrong. They're commotional, right? Women are more commotional. I mean, it's like every teaching infuses back to you're not enough, you're not good enough, disguised as you're good enough. And it's it's so convoluted that we have to unwind these things by examining them different, in my opinion. Yeah, that, I can relate to that so much. I had a similar um, 
awakening in myself around because I had sort of like my spiritual awakening as a teenager and I came to the spiritual path then and I was sort of emerged in all these different new age things cult-like groups all this stuff and I realized the same thing like I was gaslighting myself I was so good at um I thought that it was like a, a step towards enlightenment that I could just be so neutral about everything but I realized that all I was doing was using my tools to trick myself out of every time I felt something I would just like use all my tools and it would go away and I'd be like oh ho, ho, I'm so good and it wasn't until like I had a series of very traumatic events and then I came to my mentor that I work with now and her work um, that she taught me which is now what I do with people is very much about going deep into the feeling and the emotions and then using the body and it sounds like it's similar to the work that you do as well so we actually we cannot bypass these things that we feel part of the human experience is that we have this plethora of emotions, right? We have, and we're, we are meant to, we are meant to feel all the things. And when we're not allowing those things, and that is also a function of the systems that we live in too. You know, it's not even just, you know, these spiritual groups, it's in general in our world. We're not taught that like, oh, it's okay to get angry or mad or to feel these feelings. It's like, oh, push it under the rug. Like, just keep going, stay happy, all these things. So, but this, the, the very interesting thing about Kundalini Yoga is, and I love that you're, you're already sort of talking about this because this is in my mind too, because I experienced the power of it I know that it, it it works you know it feels amazing you can feel incredible after doing kundalini yoga practices like the kriyas like I used to go to 4am sadhana all the time and I would feel amazing and so it is interesting because he did have a guru from what I understand YB aka everyone who doesn't know who uh, this is you know I call him like the the yogi formerly known as or the formerly known as yogi bhajan or YB or whatever you want to call him I call him I call him YB the predator why be the predator? That's a great name for him. But like he, but he did have an actual guru from what I understand. So some of what he taught was actually based in some type of, he did, did he, did he not? Or am I incorrect about this? I thought, or yeah, we don't know. What I would encourage researcher, um, anyone who wants to read it is just read Philip DeSlip's um, work, which you can get a copy of and just kind of post it. But that really traces back like who were his main influences and teachers. And what we learned is that there's not much credibility to the history like he was kind of like little periods of time but not what we've painted and heard he was a customs inspector at the airport you know a customs right. inspector is you know highly is assessing people and, and reading energy and anyway I, I think that he was a master manipulator I think that's what he was a master of I don't think he was a master yogi at all I think as a child I remember him drinking soda from the stage and I just remember being so confused like why are we not allowed to drink soda and homeboy is drinking soda every lecture like these types of things ran through my head as a kid and you know they everything there was always an excuse for why his behavior was okay, whether he was abusive, whether he was yelling at somebody, whether he was shaming. And this is how ethos or how culture is created is we, we overlook the obvious and then we justify the behavior. And so the, he was a Saturn teacher. That's why he was so abusive. He was this or that. But really, it's just it's it's training a group of people out of their own body and it's solidifying a, a, a power source to him and he did that so well he created different types of relationships with all the different first generation students of his including my parents created incredible systems of hierarchy and with with lack of transparency and our community the people the heart of of the people built these companies 
he didn't build any of this stuff. The people did. And, you know, he then took the assets. He, you know, and that's why this podcast is so fascinating because people that have been manipulated for decades that healed, said, I'm going to heal that journey of mine that happened 40 years ago. They're coming back just to tell the story. Hey, I'm with no hard feelings, just want you to know this is what happened in 1980. Mm -hmm. So the more you hear the stories, you just see the tapestry itself. And then I think it makes us stronger to recognize these patterns of behavior as we interweave in the world in new spiritual communities or political groups or neighborhood associations. Narcissism and predatory behavior, they're not going anywhere, but we have to get better and better at identifying it and calling it out for what it is, naming it so that we're not unconsciously pulled into it because of this sense of longing to feel connected. I mean, the more isolated we are in the world, the more we long to connect. And so it's an easier way to siphon you know, our our juicy human energy. Well, and most people come to some sort of a spiritual path because they're hurting, right? They're, they're hurting, they have some trauma, they have pain, and they're looking for ways to find, you know, that that's what brought me to my spiritual path. And I noticed in every group that I was a part of, there was always people there that needed healing. That's why they're there. So when you're already in that position, if you're already traumatized, you're already susceptible to these types of predatory behaviors anyway, because you pro that's probably where you're coming from and you're looking for belonging. And, you know, it is very easy to spiritually manipulate people because you're dealing with the intangible. I mean, one of my first, I call her like my fake guru before I met like one of my real gurus. She was just like, when you talk about pulling energy, I could actually sit there and watch her and I would watch how she just gathered energy from us. And, you know, there's all of these behaviors and, and this is all spelled out with people who study cults, right? It's like the long hours, like she would keep us up till like, you know, two, three in the morning, like talking and talking. And she would go into all of these, again, very intangible things. When you start talking about past lives, you know, spirit guides, all of these things. I'm not saying that these things aren't real. They are. However, if somebody wants to use those things to manipulate people, it's very easy because you can't prove what, you know, there's no way to scientifically, you know, prove what happened or not in somebody's past life. But, you know, as we know, when you're working with a healer who's in integrity, you will, you feel the difference. But like you said, right. if your sense of feeling has been cut off, well, then you're, you're in trouble. And then the deeper that you go into that, and then you start to justify those things. Like you said, the soda thing. I mean, one of my favorite, like not favorite, but like one that makes me chuckle about YB is that I, I think I read somewhere that the, that so you remember that song, like the age of Aquarius. So his office or something was like in the same building as the people, or he was around when they were recording that song and he heard that song and he liked it so much. And that is where he got the Aquarian teachings from was from that song. The, that's where it came from. It didn't come from a Holy guru. It came from like, he heard a song in the sixties that he liked. And then he like adapted his whole movement to be about the Aquarian teachings because of this song from a musical. Did you know this? Yeah, I didn't, but it's classic. <laughs> Classic YB, you know, it's just yeah. any of us who grew up, it's just like we just shake our heads at the yeah. nonsensicalness of so much of what comes out of his mouth and has come out of his mouth. And then also the goo goo gaga of the people receiving it like, oh, my God, wasn't that so profound? And we're like, no, actually, it wasn't didn't sound very profound at all, you know, but it's it's an indoctrination like we all are susceptible to only hearing what we want to hear. And this in and of itself is trauma patterns on repeat. But, you know, none of us want to...
consider, oh, yeah, I'm just a walking trauma pattern. No, I mean, I didn't think my life was historically bad. I wouldn't have considered myself a walking trauma pattern. I had no idea my whole life I've been dealing with complex PTSD. I thought kundalini yoga was the way I got to my center. I loved doing that practice regularly. I loved morning sadhana. I loved, there's just so much of the lifestyle that I've loved, cold showers. I loved the strength I felt in my nervous system. What I didn't understand was that was an over-cultivation of my sympathetic nervous system as a way to keep me disconnected from my feeling body. Because when we can feel our body, the body, the emotions, is the soul speaking to us. It's that pulse saying, no, this isn't right for you. Something can be legitimately wonderful, and your soul says, no, it's not for you. And if you can't feel that pulse at any given time, then we're not in our divinity in this body. Because we're both, right, creator and creation, right? We're both. But if we can't feel our own innate nature, we are literally submitting our will to someone else to say, guide me, tell me what's for me. And whether we know it or not, the Kundalini Yoga teachings are designed that way. They're designed to have you not think. Just do this. Do this, and this will help you get rid of this. Says who? Where did he come up with that? Even if there's some practices that does change the inner state, which physiological movement and breath work can change our mental and emotional state. This is wonderful, important distinctions. But to say, oh, do this and you're going to get rid of your childhood anger without ever feeling the anger? No, that's not how it works. The body holds sensation and we have to let these memories out. Trauma is incomplete experiences stored in our body. So I discovered, oh my God, I can't feel anything because I've stuffed all these experiences and there's a bunch of incomplete experiences stored in my body. It's amazing. Yeah, wow. I mean, there's just, there's so much we could go into here. And I just, uh, I was really dialed into the, there's a Facebook group and like watching everybody go through their process and uh, all, all the different emotions there. But I know for me, one of the things that also clued me into something was wrong was like, we have a huge Punjabi Sikh population here in Vancouver. And when I went to the Kundalini Yoga Center, they're not there. And when you would try to talk to them about the Kundalini Yoga, they don't really Either they didn't know what it was or they're like, no, like they're not into it at all. And so that was a big kind of red flag for me too. And the other red flag was, you know, I've been to India many times and you don't find the history of Kundalini yoga there like you do or as taught by YB anyway, because, you know, you can trace all the other lineages back there and you can find them, but not, not Kundalini yoga as taught by YB anyway. So... Well, and I think that's such an important point because the story that we got, what we call the mythology, the mythology we got is that we were getting a special yes. historical wisdom that got lost to the Indian population because of colonialism. So like what a story of white supremacy interwoven into cultural appropriation. Like here we are hijacking a historical religion, culture and practice, you know, monetizing on it through selling of the names, adding white, just adding all these dimensions that aren't actually in the historical religion. And then 
adding a level of superiority that we actually have knowledge that they poor Indian Sikhs don't have. Like, it's so sick. It's so sick. And it's not even rooted in in historical data, you know, like, as you're saying, you can't trace it. And what I'll say is, do I believe that predators can download great wisdom and genius? Of course. History is filled with predators bringing amazing genius into the world. But I don't believe YB fits that category. I believe he was a master manipulator that took real science, real truth, and real ancient knowledge that's always been in existence, took the parts that served and benefited him, and the people grew it. You know, as a, as a good leader, you're just noticing what people want to hear, and you're feeding it to them. And over time, I think this is how it's spun. And it's why it concerns me that the marketing machine of Kundalini Yoga continues, because I'm not against people practicing whatever they want to practice. Kundalini energy is real. We all have Kundalini energy. Hmm. Kundalini Yoga, historically, is not a yoga. You know, and, and so... There are really important aspects to what I think was so beneficial of Kundalini Yoga, having to do with our nervous system, our glandular system, understanding pressure release, understanding how the brain and the body are communicating through the electrical synapses, um, understanding deep rest as well as stimulation, and that the body needs both pressure and release for, for the body to experience settling. But what I think is really infused in the way YB taught Kundalini Yoga is to overstimulate. We're constantly in a state of overstimulation and and this kind of subtle level of superiority that we have the most advanced yoga practice of all time and this special body of knowledge that's going to change the world. And this is a very elitist unconscious supremacy model that blocks anyone that starts to practice from doing other things too mm. and the teachings actually teach that don't teach anything with this don't change the formula don't and i think that's a part of the tactic because critical thinking doesn't happen when you insulate yourself into a little bubble critical thinking comes when you have juxtaposing positions and you do research and you say well if if this is supposed to do this, maybe if I go research that, I can learn that. Well, no, a lot of the things that YB says things will, like, say, do this practice, it'll do this. If you look on the Internet, the only justification is kundalini yoga knowledge of that. You won't see that research rooted somewhere else, so to speak, you know? Yeah, it's wild. And I love that you brought up that superiority piece because that is a key piece in every cult group is when people feel like they have their privy to some type of high level information that makes them special. And again, people who are, you know, looking for purpose, looking for sense of self, people who are traumatized, that it makes them feel special. I mean, it, it's it's a great hook for anybody, you know, but as soon as you feel like, oh, I have this exclusive, you know, teachings and I have this exclusive stuff, then it really really that also puts you kind of like on your high horse. And then, like I mentioned before, what I feel from some of the people that I know from the Kundalini community is a lot of pride. And that is why they're not speaking up is because their pride will not allow them to say, Oh my gosh, that this, you know, 
what I made my entire life about my spiritual lineage is maybe not a true lineage because it's not like he, he made it up. And this was the other thing intuitively. I knew this as well. When I started to clue, clue into this a couple of years ago, I was like, he made this up. And I was like, I even think about it. Like it makes perfect sense to me to repeat things over and over these repetitive motions that in itself is going to condition the mind, you know, like the way that these, all the Kriyas are, you know, like does it, it, it makes so much sense to me. Like it's just that repetitive. It's almost like a brainwashing, you know? Mm. And again, and I, and I, what you said is bang on too about like, he didn't actually even have to do anything because at a certain point he just, he has all his little minions. And this is what other, this is another thing that great cult leaders do, right? Is they, you know, they just stand there in their position of power and they throw out the orders and then everybody else runs around and does all of the dirty work for them. And that's very, before we got on, you know, I mentioned that my good friend is Sarah Edmondson, who's very well known for breaking up the, the Nexium uh, cult group. And they, you know, that, that was classic. They worshiped that guy, Keith Ramirez. And he was like a, you know, full, you know, he's all been to trial and he's in jail for the rest of his life now, but just full blown psychopath, you know, and, but the devotion that they had to him, they thought, I remember because so many of my friends were in that group and they all tried to get me in. And it's funny because I've had my own karma with other groups, but I, right away knew that that was BS. I went to one of the very first, um, it was called Jeunesse. He was trying to start, they were trying to start a women's group, but uh, Nancy Salzman, who was the leader, she was like his, like one of his henchmen, like his right hand woman, basically. I looked at her and I was like, she, she was like almost like reptilian or something to me. And I felt so icky after that two day workshop or three day workshop that I attended. Like, I remember it took me like days to like decompress and I would like have to go to the ocean every day and be like, Ugh. like, what was that? Like, I was just like, so it's interesting that we have almost different karma with different groups. Cause for me, a lot of things I saw right through them. And yet I also have had my own I've had a number of very strange experiences with different groups and teachers so I understand mm -hmm. both sides but I, I think it's and I, but I think it's so unfortunate and it makes me so angry that people manipulate in the name of the divine because what ends up happening is that it 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 it, it like destroys people's relationship with God because when that person, when the cult leader makes themselves into an instrument of the divine or, you know, a false one, and then people put their faith in that person, then it can actually destroy the trust that they have with the divine. And that can take a long time to rebuild. And that's what makes me angry when I see all, I mean, a lot of these things make me angry. The children piece makes me very angry. The fact that that was just mind boggling to me. And this is a thing, like, um, I don't know if you know who Nityananda is, but he's another one of the um, you know, he's a sort of very problematic cult leader. And they say the same thing about him, that he's, you know, abusing all these children and taking all these children. And it's just a very, I don't know. It's, I, I just don't understand it. And I think we just have to keep exposing these people because, because they're dangerous. Yeah. I think you're bringing up such important fundamentals that is hitting home to our humanity. Mm -hmm. That the history of our humanity is using God to control the population. So, you know, what's the ultimate power flex? It's that, right? And, and then what's the, what's the ultimate longing we have inside, right? It's to belong. It's to feel like we have a sense of meaning and that, and, and deep loving connection like this is a part of the primal essence of the human need and so it's just so important i think that we all realize we're all susceptible to any form of a cult and when we get re-pulled in it's not necessarily a bad thing but it's something in us that's wanting to get awakened it's like something in us that says well what am i 
what am I willing to submit? What am I giving up in order to get? And if we can start, at least that's my approach. If we can ask ourselves better questions, instead of armoring ourselves against, we start creating internal safety to feel so we can notice oh wow i see what they're doing this person's pulling on my energy isn't that interesting you know and that's all we're ever doing though aren't we right we're either giving or receiving energy and sometimes we meet someone and before you know it, we give all our energy to them because there's something that's drawing us into that and we can call it oh i just had this gut feeling i was so connected that same gut feeling can be a trauma pattern right mm -hmm. so how do we tell the difference between something that's like our soul calling us in that's right for us and the repeating trauma it's almost one and the same sometimes it has to do with how much have we cleared out of our past conditioning that we're trying to refill up on versus feeling very presence like a lot of presence in our body to say wow every experience is giving me a better lens into myself because i you know the best way I can describe that is I woke up to my childhood cult upbringing when a business I had built collapsed after a decade. And the pattern of that collapse and kind of like the leadership system and how that business, the, the leaders were trying to kick me out of my business and, and it felt like I was getting ostracized. There was a quality of energy that was repeating itself. And I thought I had healed and left my childhood, you know, the hypocrisy of my childhood behind. I thought I was a woke, conscious woman, only to realize, oh my God, in a very different environment, here I am fighting myself in a cult-like business, getting financially destroyed, and there's something eerily familiar about this. Wow. And only by looking at that and going into it did I start to get to layers of myself that I thought was my personality, my pride of being. And what it really was was a trauma pattern that was so solidified in me and then bound up with Kundalini Yoga as the yoga of awareness, thinking I'm so aware only to be repeating really toxic, abusive patterns that were encoded in me from the time I was born. Wow. Well, I mean, and they would have been because, you know, you had your formative years growing up in that. So you wouldn't have known any different. That's, that's how it works. And that's very interesting because something sort of similar happened to me and that, um, you know, I went through a period, I call it like seven years of hell. But what that actually was, was to expose similar things, like a number of, you know, psychological traumas and gaslighting that had always been happening to me that I wasn't aware of. So, you know, these trauma experiences can be very valuable when we are conscious and aware, because if we choose to see the lesson in it, and then it actually gives us an opportunity to, to heal from that and see it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and again, like, you know, again, we're all grown up in this, whether we grow up in a cult or not, you know, our, even the word cult is contained within culture. You know, we are yeah. all, you know, our whole systems are filled with a lot of, a lot of brainwashing, a lot of gaslighting. And yeah, it's so funny. The media shows us all the time. Like you don't have to be raised in a cult for you to be 
indoctrinated with conditioning. You know, your family gave you conditioning, your religious, you know, your 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 economic status, your the country you were born in. Every level of us, we have conditioning, and then we have a pulse inside of ourselves that's telling us. Yeah, that's not what you want. But sometimes we don't pursue what our soul is telling us because we're too afraid of what other people are going to say or think of us or do. And so that is, it's the constant battle between what I'm programmed to think I should have or do and what I'm really being called. And and again, I think growing up in a cult like me, this this amplifies that experience but every one of us is exposed to these levels of um, indoctrination and, and programming through the media, through the school system, through political forces, all levels of this stuff. And that's why it comes back to the age of the guru is dead. We're in the age of the alchemist. You know, you have to you have to be willing to go into the darkest region of your internal self and shine light in there and start breaking up the most dense, heavy elements of your lived experience, the pains, the abuses, the betrayals, and feel them. And by feeling them and shining the light and giving yourself permission to feel all that uncomfortable stuff, this is what dissolves that complex, convoluted mixture of enmeshment of abuse and love that's co-mingled in the center of our being. Ooh, you nailed it. That's exactly what it is, is that, again, so many of us mis- mistake these things. And, you know, there's there's so many reasons for that. It can be personal. And again, it is it is systemic. And I love what you said just a little bit earlier about asking questions. Because, funny, I was, like, sort of laying in bed last night. I couldn't, I, I didn't fall asleep right away. So I was just sort of meditating and praying. But that was what came to me, was that the essential way that we're going to have to break down these systems, which is essentially white supremacy, is that we have to be willing to ask questions about everything. Because you can still land back at the same place that you came from, but to ask questions is the is the opening that just allows you to to just think about things, to question them, to look at things in a different way. You can always come back to where you came from, and or you might lend you you know you might land in a different place. Because again, our systems are and, and you know cults the way that they are run is you don't ask questions, you just accept, right? It's like I say that you do this, and you do this because I say so, and I get to say this because I am the authority. <laughs> and again, like you know all this stuff going on with the royal family is so funny because I'm like, how did these royal families even exist? Well, at some point, somebody proclaimed themselves to be some type of, you know, a royal and I am connected to God and you're not. So you listen to me. And then now we have like, you know, generations of thousands and thousands of years of monarchy. But how did this start? And it's just somebody, you know, but we give this power away. This is the thing. This is what we all have to realize is that we are the ones who choose what we wish to give power to or not. So that actually empowers us. But most of us don't realize that, right? <laughs> well, that, but we don't just choose it. We learn it. Yes. So our earliest imprinted environment, that environment before the age of four, when we're in the womb, we learn dynamics of power. We learn where it's safe to express, not express. We learn where it's safe to to share, to ask, to need, to want, to love, to not. So we're not just giving up our power. We learn patterns of energy dynamics very young and we learn very young. And this is to me why the human nervous system is so amazing is everything we learn by the age of four, we're doing out of self-preservation. So 
yeah, you and I are adult, and now we're all like, I'm aware of myself. And suddenly we're like, yeah, I want to get rid of that. That I don't want to do that anymore. But that pattern, that trauma protective pattern has survived you. It's the thing that's preserved you. Like, why is it going to go anywhere? It's pretty, it's pretty comfy in you. Right. And now suddenly we're woke and we want to be like, oh, I don't need that trauma pattern. Heck, yeah, you need that trauma pattern because your body has formed around it. Who are we if we don't pull energy from someone, if that's the only way we've ever learned to feel loved and seen and validated or needed? So unwinding the thing is just as complicated as the thing ending up in us in the first place. And I think that's a part of the conversation that needs to be had because it's so easy to just be like, well, that's terrible. Those teachings, they're predators. I'm not going to, I'm not listening to that. I'm not reading that. Where are you going to go in the world and go and interface with something that's not filled with predator something? It's everywhere. It's in us. It's in us. We are both predator and prey. And I guarantee you, if you need something enough and you're hungry enough and you are destitute enough, you will do what's necessary. So if we can start to recognize these forces in us, we stop saying, oh, the problem is out there. And we start saying, wow, what in me? is drawing me into these experiences over and over again. What is it in me that I'm feeding a sense of pride and moral comfort in superiority, in thinking I have knowledge? What does that do for me? When I started asking myself that, I started saying, oh my God, like I had to ask, well, when I wear a turban, I feel like this. People can respond to me like this. But if I don't, I feel like this. People respond to me like that. Wow, what am I feeding? Oh yeah, it kind of feels good to kind of like receive people's holy projection. And then I was like, God, I don't want to receive people's holy projection. So I started like dissecting these things inside of me. I think we all have to do that. We all have to start examining. We come from long histories of enmeshment patterns with our parents. To think you're not attached or addicted to enmeshment means you're lying to yourself. Some part of you loves being enmeshed. We don't just end up in spiritual communities of full-on incestuous enmeshment like this by accident. There's parts of us that are being fed and nourished by it. And it can go back to our history of trauma and not having been nourished or ever learned unconditional love. But it's not going to go away by making the community bad. It's going to go away by saying, oh, wow, what part of me is letting myself play in the wound over and over again instead of really examining this with love, love for myself to say, I need to own my part in this so I don't keep repeating this a decade from now. Oh, yes. And that that is absolutely the key. And I'm so glad that you said that because this is like, it's so clear to me is that we have to approach this work with so much unconditional love for ourselves. Because the reason why so many of us, like number one, we don't want to feel the uncomfortable feelings. And then number two, we judge those uncomfortable feelings. So we have to approach it with so much unconditional love. And then the awareness that for whatever reason, as human beings, like this is our makeup, like it or not, you know, we all have shadow, we all have light, we all feel good things, we all feel not so great things. And so I do like, this although it kind of irritates me sometimes this trend of like being vulnerable like you know in the coaching community and stuff like sometimes it's a bit much I'm like okay enough already however I do think it's actually valuable because you know when people start to share about things it it 
makes you connect and makes you realize because the ego by function wants you to think that you're the only one who thinks a certain way or feels a certain way until we realize that like, no, all human beings have this. And then the other thing you touched on too, is just like, it's just pure spiritual ego, right? Which is such a big problem in spiritual communities. And again, it's because people are looking for belonging and they're looking for healing and then they get attached to this, whether it's a path or the superiority path or the right way or whatever. And then it's like, and I spent a number of years having to dissect my spiritual ego because I came to the spiritual path very young as a teenager. And so I had found my identity in that. And that was my, I like, I would even say to people, like when I was like in my early twenties, like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I'm spiritual. Like it was so bad, you know, like I would never say that anymore. Like, and I'm also grateful for all these experiences because now, you know, I can see it all clearly for where it is. And then myself, you know, doing my healing and teaching work, it's like, I'm very committed to not being that. And I say to everybody that I work with, like, please don't take my word for it. Only take, you know, what works for you, take it, what doesn't, define like you're on your own journey and I'm here to empower you to become your own source of knowledge because you are your own ultimate source of knowledge. I can help you get there, but you know, and and that's only what makes sense to me. If every human being could just learn how to, you know, align with their own divinity and get in touch with their own intuition, we would have a very different world. But again, this is not encouraged by the systems that we are brought up in. The systems that we're brought up in tell us to, you know, read, like read, like take in information, regurgitate it back. And that makes you a good thing you know listen to an instruction follow the instruction well that is what makes you a good and don't have an opinion about it don't speak up about it and also don't trust yourself like even our educational systems teach us like oh you have to pee no it's not time to pee don't pee you don't get a pee so you're what what that is it's learning to gaslight our own bodies oh you're hungry no it's not time to eat we eat at this hour these things slowly train us out of ourself and so yes cult culture There's American culture, right? There's French culture. There's Brazilian culture. All these, any country we're born in has a cult, cult culture. Any institution we belong to has a cult culture. And we have to begin to see these patterns that separate us from the humanity of each other. You know, and that's purposeful because if we don't notice how connected we really are, even in all our difference, and we can't feel the humanity for each other, then we stay compartmentalized, which is easier to manipulate and control. And I think using spiritual wisdom is such an easy bypass because a lot of the things are essentially true. But bringing it down to everyday reality, the humanity of the situation is what body are you in, right? Am I in a white body? Are you in a black body? What's the impact? What's the everyday reality of being in the body we're in and speaking to the the reality of what's happening on the planet? Not in the essence of oneness, but like right now today. Oh, thank you for saying that because this is what drives me nuts. I've made a bunch of videos about this in the past year because again, like there's so much spiritual bypassing that happens, especially on like things like racism and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, you guys, like you don't get to be like, it's not about being in 5D or 12D. Like we are on the earth. Like we are supposed to be on the earth. Like let's bring it back here to the moment to actually, like the way that I look at it is like the awakening is not necessarily 
this big like woo woo thing. It's like seeing the actuality and the reality of what is down here and then being committed to doing something about it. Because once you see it for what it is, then you you, you legitimately have a choice. Because in some ways we almost don't even have free will or choice while we're in the indoctrination because right. we're indoctrinated. We don't know. But when that awakening happens and you start to see things and you start to understand things differently, well, then that's a that's a new game. You know, that's a that's a different story. So I get very frustrated with spiritual people sometimes. And, you know, yeah. a lot of this spiritual bypassing stuff is what I see continuing in the Kundalini community, especially with the active groups of people that are gaslighting survivors, which makes me so mad. And it sounds like it's like I call it spiritual word salad, you know. And YB was a master of this. And it's funny, when I went back and I threw out all of my books and everything that I had of him, but it's funny, once I, I right before I got, I got rid of them, I, I was like, I was reading it through a different lens. And I was like, he's a rambling madman. Like, what is, what, like, how could people have been reading this all along and thought that he was actually saying like, he, he's just legitimately like, he's, he's rambling, don't you think? Full on word salad. I've learned it's a part of the uh, formula is he psychobabbled blah 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 he would say like one good line then he would blah 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 and then at the very end of the lecture he would do a kriya and so when you start looking at these lectures over the women's camps there was formulae formulas to them a little bit that kept people kind of in the ethers spaced out not in their body not in their humanity not in their feeling sense and then you go back and listen to it and some of the, the things in there a lot of the real crazy stuff he would just kind of throw in there in kind of random places. And again, it's a level of kind of seeping into the unconscious. There's also videos of him, people are looking back, doing like hieroglyphics or like spelling in the air while people are meditating and chanting. And so there's also some documents coming showing that... Um, how he over he had some of the producers of the music overlay um, subliminals into some of the musics and so like these things are just important because from a from a manipulator point of view a lot of the things that we've contexted in one light if you look at it through a new lens if you ask a different question you're like oh my god and that's how I feel about most of the things he says like none of it makes any sense and then some of the top leaders in the community still you you read some of the stuff they say and they're like that makes no sense either it makes no sense and, and they're becoming more nonsensical by the day i was saying i take great delight in like marking some of their posts on facebook as like offensive when they come up like the ads i'm like it's getting ridiculous but i was getting all excited uh, i don't always use the video for these i just use the audio but i'm like jumping up down because the subliminals let's talk about that because i swear there are some subliminals in some like white sun i still think is full of subliminals that's so that one is especially the case because hardy jiwan that guy he was called the toner bandit he served time in jail for being um uh for financial abuse mm -hmm. this is back in like the 80s and then reinvented himself and it's just a long story but there's absolutely really dark movements in that group between Guru Jagat and Hari Jiwan and White Sun and it's really scary to witness because it's it's like high level dark dark energy 
Well, they made a couple videos that are like straight up propaganda. I'm like, what am I watching right now? Like one of them was gaslighting the the victims. It was like the, you know, and I find it funny because he credits his wife. He's like, it's a film by Mandev. And I'm like, I feel, I mean, I don't know what's going on there, but I'm like, to me, I'm like, no, no, no. He's like putting it. That is like what, again, that's what cult leaders do. They push the responsibility on somebody else. He told her to make that film and then he credits her because do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know what the... Yeah. Well, in that story alone, like he counseled her and her husband and then ended up marrying her. And that was the second student teacher he had married. I mean, it's just it's on and on with weirdness. And I haven't even looked at that whole group. But the Rama Wrong group um, on Instagram is, you know, really keeps us posted on on that. What are they called? Rama Wrong. Rama uh, wrong. Okay, I'd love to check Instagram. that out. Yeah, follow them on Instagram. And what they're doing is just exposing just the absolute nonsensical victim shaming position of the celebrity status of that group and how they're carrying on. They're writing new narratives, even saying how their narrative is different than it used to be. Now the ancient technology is coming from Tibet or something. I mean, it's all changed. But same thing with lots of teachers. I and mean, we just saw a post about Guru Singh, his narrative has changed. He now has that is in his bio that he was a student of someone other than YB. You know, like, oh, that's so weird. Oh, that is so weird. Well, he you can't just change your narrative. Like, <laughs> it's just so strange. Now, in the age of marketing and branding, of course. Of course. Uh, that is hilarious. You can't just change your... <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, I had another spiritual teacher. Sorry, guys. Yeah, you know, and it's just fascinating to watch because from the inside, it's just, you know, it's all just responding to marketing. And, you know, from the outside, I just can't encourage anybody listening to and that wants to practice Kundalini Yoga or understand. It's like the work is internally now, right? We have to stop seeking this guru externally and and start alchemizing our own dark pain. Otherwise, we're going to keep repeating it. I don't care if it's 10 years from now or 20 more years from now. You're going to have a pattern you repeat because you don't want to do the pain, the work of metabolizing the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Resma Menicum in his work, My Grandmother's Hands, talking about racial, racial trauma, he talks about dirty pain and clean pain. We all have pain. Our lived experience gives us pain. But if we don't deal with the pain... It's just this dirty pain. It's going to live in our body, and we're going to blow that pain through other people. We're going to keep drawing in experiences to circle that pain through us over and over again because your soul doesn't want you to hold on to other people's garbage. You absorb the garbage because your body absorbs it as a safekeeping mechanism for future resilience. But over time, it doesn't need it, right? And we have to shed these things so that we can start to have more of ourselves than the conditioning or the trauma experiences have conditioned us to be. Yeah, and and that's personal sovereignty. That is us all discovering our own relationship to the divine, which is what I see as ultimate for all human beings. And then, you know, I, I was... I think about this all the time. Like, you know, if we were all just like divinely aligned, there's a divine order of things. So things would just naturally order themselves. But we can't even get there because most people can't, again, because of the indoctrination, because of all of this patterning. And so, and it does take time and it takes work. And it also doesn't as well. Like my my experience is, it, it's like anything. It's like an exercise. It's like, um, it's like a muscle. The more that you do it, the, the better you become in it and the faster it moves. And I've noticed, especially like with even some of my clients that I work with, it's 
like there's just like rapid shifts taking place just like this. And I just tell them, just go there for a minute. Just even going there for a minute in this support container is enough for you to, and it can just dissolve. I love that you use the word dissolve because that's exactly how I see it energetically as well. Like it literally dissolves, you know, it's there. So it's actually doesn't have to be this scary. We don't have to go and relive all these years and years of trauma. We can actually start to resolve them fairly, fairly quickly, but it is, I love that you use the word unwinding because that's the word that my mentor uses a lot too. And that is literally what it is. It is an unwinding. And we also can't expect to, um, unpattern from years and years and decades and lifetimes of trauma, you know, just, just like this. It's a, it's a process, but the process can become almost enjoyable. And for me, like I always know when something icky comes up, there's always something good on the other side of that. So now I know I'm like, just stick with it, just feel it. It could take a couple days to clear this layer, but you know, even weeks sometimes, but for me, it's usually days. And then I'm like, just sit with it. And then on the other side of that, that's freedom. The freedom is there because you've liberated yourself from from that energy. And it's like, wow, then you've got all of this extra space that you've just opened up to do whatever you want, really. <laughs> Hopefully not go get involved in another call group. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I can't agree more with that process. It's like, you don't have to remember the stuff. You don't have to relive the stuff. You have to be willing to feel whatever trapped emotion or feeling was left inside. But, you know, I was doing this eight-year excavation journey coming up against sadism and terror and sex shame and all these things that were living in my pelvic bowl. And as much as I knew it was kind of related to my upbringing, I, my, I still housed my upbringing as reverent, right? And as special, as holy. And so it didn't let me fully see. And so... I'm pointing that out to say I was able to heal and clear stuff and only after that did the full story get exposed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's real affirming because we don't have to remember what happened to us to heal. We have to refeel and let ourselves have that, like you said, spaciousness, slowing down to notice what are our unconscious pattern trauma responses and the more we feel we're creating safety inside, which only makes us more available to ourselves and gives us more compassion, self-compassion to say, wow, you know, this does take time and yet it can also happen very fast mm -hmm. if I'm willing to track each, each moment with myself. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's fast. What I've just woken up to is how my unconscious trauma pattern is to go fast. So a part of this work is to ground back into our body. Spiritual people want to go high and we want to ride high. But the real work of alchemists is to go down into the debris and earth of this physical form and below the waist is where the betrayal of the human experience lives. It lives in your belly, your digestive tract, your sex organs, your hips, your low back, your pelvis, your anus, right? And these are comfortable areas. Like who talks about their anus and sex organs publicly? No, we don't do that. Because there's way too much historical shame 
living in our bodies here. And so we want to bypass and we want to go to all is one. Let's love each other. Let's forgive. We're all connected. We're so divine. And while all that's true, we didn't come here to work on our divinity. We came here to work on our earthliness. So descend into the body and face the real stark abuse relationship patterns that you had to endure because most of the shit your body holds isn't even your own. And that's what I discovered. Like, oh my God, not only am I holding my parents' unprocessed trauma, I'm holding a community, an ethos of energy that was abusive in its nature, not divine in its nature. Now, I got some good divine stuff from my upbringing too. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful for that. But without owning and looking at the dark abusive nature of what I absorbed too, I couldn't actually distill the difference between the good stuff and the bad stuff. It was only by fully digging my hands into the dark, heavy, unfelt emotions that lived in my pelvis, these uncomfortable, shame-based ways I got taught to look at my sex and my sexuality, and examine it and feel it and then dry heave it out of me in slow stages enough to be like that's not true my divine nature is both spiritual and sexual and anything that tells me otherwise is a part of conditioning Mm -hmm. and that was a slow 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 unwind Because I was so trained that kundalini yoga was the answer Mm. to humanity, to all of humanity. And that's But this is the this is the common denominator. This is the same with all my friends that were in Nexium. Like it was like everybody that I knew, except for me, not like so many of my old friends, elementary school, high school friends were all in Nexium. And this is what they believed that that it had the technology to save the world. And so this is always one of the hooks of these cult like groups is that this is the answer, this is the ultimate, and this is the best. And we just gotta get out of this. Like there is no best. Like the the only thing that's best is what's best for you. You. Yeah. Just you. Just you. you. Go inside you are like I always say the practice didn't do that you did that the you know the teaching didn't do that you did that you are the magic you bring your presence you bring your intention you bring your awareness you I love that. I, I just have this thought. It's like, yeah, the practice is just a vehicle. And then, you know, if the vehicle breaks down, that's okay. You can just keep walking. You can run. You can get another vehicle. You can keep going. It doesn't change the destination. It doesn't change the path. It's just that the vehicle changes. And there's a lot of really, um, oh my God, there's so many questionable spiritual groups and cult-like groups in different forms. And so that's a whole other topic too, you know, but, you know, some in, in the varying variations or not, but what it ultimately comes down to, and I believe it can all have purpose. Like, you know, it's all purposeful. I'm glad I've had all the experiences I've had. Um, I'm, I'm not going to repeat some of them, but I've learned so much from, you know, both my good and bad spiritual teachers and spiritual groups. So there's something to be learned. And I, I do hope that we're moving towards uh, just, just more awareness. So isn't it ironic that like, look at all this awareness that you have. <laughs> 
You have incredible awareness. When I stopped practicing the yoga of awareness, I started having so much more awareness. And this is important because a part of any formula to keep us disconnected to ourselves is to be so busy in the busyness of this practice that we don't even have a moment to feel what's actually going on and it's so critical because i literally by naming that i have complex ptsd by naming by seeing and hearing my own brothers and sisters and hearing their abuse stories i was able to feel wow i think i have complex ptsd i think i've always had it my whole life but when you grow up in a yoga culture that bypasses mental health and says oh all you need is this meditation oh all you need is this that you know i didn't ever relate to myself through diagnoses like that and i'm bringing this specifically to this head because that helped me so much to just pause and be like wow it's okay to call someone and ask for help or just need to be heard or to just speak out loud this is what's going on for me and to have somebody just unconditionally listen and not to not offer me anything. I didn't grow up with that. I've never had the experience of that type of quality of listening or, you know, other types of how do we learn self-compassion if we've never had an environment where compassion was demonstrated. And, you know, again, you don't have to grow in, up in a cult for that to be real for you, too. You might have just had two parents that were very unavailable very emotionally shut down or had their own trauma issues. And you too might have never have an experience where you learn to feel what it feels like to be loved. I didn't know what that sensation felt like. You know, I thought I knew what compassion and love felt like. But what I had been trained to believe it was, was actually a state of deep deprivation. Mm. It wasn't love. It wasn't attention, you know, it wasn't enlightenment. It was just pure deprivation and loneliness. And, you know, when you have so much trauma from a young age and all the adults are all focused and vacated from their own body and you grow up learning this is what love is, what do you do? You shine from that place. You just learn to be, and we learned that as kids. We learned to be strong little warrior yogis. Don't show emotion. Be ready to change humanity with the grace of your radiance. Meanwhile, we're vacated and numb inside and so, so, so sad because we have hurt and we don't know who to share it with. But we're so aware and we're so entitled and so let me teach you all about spirituality and again, Surya, I, I bring this up with so much self-compassion as well as those listening from our community. But, you know, last year, like, I had to examine that in myself. Like, wow. I use my wisdom and my ability to take spiritual concepts and teach with them. I use that as a way to bypass my vulnerability. And it creates disconnection for me. It doesn't create more connection. And when I saw this in myself, I just started crying and I said, I didn't learn how to be vulnerable. I didn't learn how to share my feelings. And so actively practicing that has become my sadhana. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know what's best for you. 
I don't even know what's best for me sometimes, but together we might be able to support each other in finding our own best way, as opposed to me projecting onto you that I have this all figured out. And let me tell you a story of the spiritual high road and the best way and the best thing for you. And it's just a, it's a teacher projection formula that exists everywhere. But within Kundalini Yoga, it's massively strong because we learned projection as an essence of separation. You know, be a little bit more elevated so you can hold the students. And it's, it's automatically building in disconnection, not more connection. Yeah. That's, uh, and, and I can see that you, you can see that in many of the, you know, the, the teachers and, you know, how they carry themselves and how they teach. And, and of course, people are, are drawn to this in this world, because again, that, that's something that we're drawn to. But wow, you are amazing. <laughs> and I, I'm so grateful. You're so wise. And I just, it's like, you, you were made to do this. This is like, you're, 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 you're on path. I know it hasn't been an easy path. But um, I can just see how much it's informed your own awareness. And you, I'm sure you do incredible work with all of your clients because of this awareness that you have yourself. And it's funny, we're talking about awareness because it's like you, you really got your awareness from leaving the yoga of awareness. But I mean, so many, so many profound bits here for people. So where can people find you and where can they hear your podcast? Yeah, um, you can stay connected with me at gurunishan.com. And um, I mostly teach group programs and other digital online content. And I'm creating a community space called The Playground, which is a sensorium to discover yourself and your own sensory body. Mm. And um, yeah, so I'm creating this uh, free community where we get to explore the sensations of the body and relearn ourselves, kind of unlearn um, to rediscover. And um, so yeah, follow me there is great on all social media platforms at Guru Nishan as well and from my site you can go to click on my podcast it's right there um, but you can also just go to gurunishan.com forward slash uncomfortable conversations uncomfortable this is what we we need to be having a lot of uncomfortable conversations you know we have to we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because again the reality of what happens on this planet every single day is not comfortable so we can't just like la 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 everything's fine like we're all you know yes we can get to that spiritual place but we also have to get really really good at really looking at what is and from there we can you know potentially make some big transformations. And I love that you talked about alchemy as well, because that's, uh, that's what it is. And that, that is our power as human beings. We can, we see it. There's been so many incredible beings. We, so many of us have these stories in our own lives of, you know, overcoming obstacles. Like we are so resilient as humans. We can alchemize everything pretty much. So it's, it's we're designed for this. Like I always say, you know, we're, we're, we're designed for high voltage energy to move through our system, but we need to be strengthening our nervous systems to handle the charge. And so, you know, anyone who's working with me, the, the task on your life is going to be building capacity in your nervous system to clear out what's ready to go and make yourself more available, you know, to what's attempting to come into your orbit or into your existence. But that has to do with electrical charge. If we have too much data from the history, there's no room for new downloads. And so this is real. And... Um, breaking our conditioning and our, our, our historical patterns 
is what sets us up for the capacity to rewire a, a new neural pathway. But it doesn't happen by bypassing where we come from. It happens by going into that, you know. And so, yeah, I encourage people to really be doing this level of work and listening to these uncomfortable conversations, whether it's around racial trauma, social injustice, like all these levels of things, these memories live in our bodies. So we're not going to get away from entrapment and abuse, we've got to start diving into where it lives in us that keeps magnetizing the experiences over and over again because our soul is speaking. It's why I call myself a soul provocateur because I'm going provo- to provoke your soul out of hiding to start unwinding the things that don't belong to you so you can get on with the goodness you're here to bring. Mm, beautiful I love it thank you so much for joining me today it's been such a beautiful conversation and uh, I'm looking forward to checking out more of your podcasts and uh, thank you so much many blessings thank you Surya so appreciate you (laughs) you've been listening to A Voice for Love this is Surya Devi you can find me at suryadeviworld.com thank you so much for tuning in I hope this series inspires you to discover your own voice for love so you can use it to be a force for good in your life and in the world. I wish you great joy, good health, and the courage to speak up for what you believe in. Peace.